This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. What is up, everybody? My name is James D. Fiore, and this is Black Bulb. Danielle Smith is still the premier of Alberta. Oops. And uh, she is going to bring the pain, I'm pretty sure, <laughs> in that province. First of all, she's going to be fighting for her life because whispers behind the scene of a leadership crisis loom. Although I don't know how ballsy the uh, Take Back Alberta crowd is going to be now that uh, they, they won such a, well, I wouldn't say such a strong majority. I would say uh, seat-wise, you know, you can't argue with success. But also people are worried. People are worried about what's going to happen with climate change, uh, what's going to happen with deregulation, what's going to happen with the healthcare system, and what's going to happen behind the scenes. How is Danielle Smith going to handle the tumultuous and probably mountainous scandals that are going to take place during her reign here to talk to us about that is the man who interviewed arthur paulowski on election day and the new host of the show the fix his name is david wallace david how are you buddy good evening doing pretty well got some sun yeah you're in the shade so it's hard to tell <laughs> there you go oh my god uh for those listening at home david's amazing coiffed hair just provided him ample shade like he could stand above kids and it would be like an umbrella at the beach well done sir um what did you make of that victory uh well if you look at the voters the registered voters uh you look at the turnout it's um voter suppression numbing the population lulling them um, has resulted in in these type of uh these type of results i mean uh it's a tough tough nut to swallow but i don't see a way around it in alberta right now i just i i don't see i see fatigue i see fatigue on on uh, true conservatives' um, faces, um, but you know they're in for the entire loony trip, no matter where it takes them. 
What do you think happened behind the scenes specifically um, when it comes to some of the activities of the political operatives in the UPC? And how do you feel their relationship will be now with the Take Back Alberta crowd? Oh, I believe, not just believe, but have some fairly good inside information that uh, pretty much all of them are not banished from the party, but um, certainly no longer involved in the um, direction of the party. Those people have been purged, um, and a lot of that wisdom has been lost. So, um, you know, you've got a lot of new people in, and, um, well, they're just not as good at covering up the corruption, I guess. So it's going to take, not that the, the old crowd was great, um, but uh, look at look at the election results. Look at the people who didn't win. Look at look at who they threw up. These were Kenny's people. It was it was a coup d'état. That's that's it. And take back Alberta, which thrust themselves uh, into the picture as a very powerful third party advocacy group, um, has really galvanized the vote. Uh, taken fundraising to a new new limit, as you see, uh, uh, what was it? They just uh, did an event with Jordan Peterson. Um, this has become a powerhouse organization, which picked Danielle Smith and ran with her all the way. And uh, it's it's a very militant organization. And there's a lot of questions about just where some of the financing comes from. What do you think about the idea that was... Uh, the idea that was circulating before the election about Danielle Smith's leadership being in jeopardy. Do you think that was just a lot of talk? Because I don't really see how that would be beneficial to that party whatsoever if they just tried to replace her within the next year. The problem was a great deal of the electorate in Alberta, UCP supporters, cast their ballots after being manipulated into doing so by being told by UCP candidates, senior candidates, that they planned on replacing her after the election. So just vote for us. Pretty hard. And I mean, for God's sakes, if you've seen the, during the run-up to the last election, what was it? Vitor Marciano sent me a message, take her down, you know, like uh, if you got anything on her, dump her now. I mean, this is loyalty. Den of thieves in there. What does it say about our politics? Because, I, I mean, I'm, I'm of the mind that the left often start uh, screaming that the, the world's on fire uh, when, when it isn't. And the, I feel like it makes the take back Alberta type people stronger when they can elicit a reaction out of the left that is so pearl clutchy. Is there a better way... Maybe this is the question. Is there a better way for the left or the political opposites of the take back Alberta crowd? Is there a better way for them to handle this? <coughs> or or do you think that that urgency that they constantly live under is, is somehow serving them well? Well, it's definitely not serving them well. Imagine the uh, impact on their mental health. I mean, this is horrible. Hmm. If, if you are, live in a place where you're feel your your values your 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 worth as a human being your very safety and whether this is a justified belief or not 
I'm putting myself in the shoes of that individual. Uh, it's subjective. But if you live in that state, no, you got to go. And that's a horrible thing because think of the people that that get spooked and leave Alberta. I mean, the talent drain is it's historic, regardless of what their ad campaigns tell you. Young people are leaving Alberta in droves. Where, where is that? What does that do to though? Like, I mean, Alberta was always seen as a place. There, there was there's a few things that stuck out about Alberta. One is that they didn't have a provincial sales tax, and they wore that like the you know like they're the biggest nanny stater fighters ever. Um, another thing was that business is always booming in Alberta. Like the economy was always going strong, and then people blame Notley for a lot of those jobs going away i think a little bit unfairly what what is the reason that they're that that young people are leaving jobs because i've heard the same thing like they have trouble filling jobs there now well look let's just be honest um alberta was in the dumps before notley won that's why she won i mean not only were the uh, conservative party premiers at that time, like Redford, like absolute train wrecks, but still they would have kept voting for them, but they just continued to fuck things up and put the economy in the toilet that finally this, the province of Alberta elected an NDP government. I mean, that was uh, unheard of. So it was already in the dumper before they got it. Did they do a good job? No, let's be honest there too. No, they, they sucked. They dropped the ball. They did shit. They could have done so much more. And, and they didn't. They tried to play it safe and, and, and try to pander to their own base while really doing shit for them. Shit. They did nothing but half-assed government, always on the defensive, always on the back foot. Look, if you're going to govern and you're going to fall, well, fall while doing what you believe in. And that's why nobody wants to vote NDP of the old guard in Alberta because they know that the will, the will of the opposition... They're used to being second. They're used to being the loyal opposition, right? That's it. If you want to win, no matter what party you are, but if you want to win, you've got to show people that you're willing to fight for your beliefs. And for whatever reason, a lot of people, some very sane, educated, good, hardworking, and well-meaning people are allowing themselves, even though they know deep down they're daydreaming, are allowing themselves to believe that the government that the UCP is presenting to the people is anything but tyrannical and out of control. And it's dangerous for everybody. I'm a little disappointed that my moniker of the UCP didn't stick, which is the unsane clown posse because it just, that's, that's pretty cool. I like the uh, United criminal predators. That could also work too. Um, I think also that, uh, that I I take your point about the NDP and I agree with it largely. I also think that uh, that Rachel Notley, um, you know, when you lo- when you're premier and then you lose an election, you need a new leader. I think, you know, you need to like people are. She kind of reminded me of Hillary Clinton in this election, and and I don't mean literally. Oh no, no, not the, uh, the, not literally, not literally. No, not not literally, but but in the sense that Hillary Clinton ran for president in two thousand and eight and got resoundly defeated by Barack Obama. So people were like, oh, she had her run. All right, bye, 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 Hillary. And then even though half the country already didn't like her, she ran again, 
against the worst candidate I have ever seen and lost again. I feel like there are some parallels there uh, because, you know, Notley uh, was premier and then was defeated. Normally, that would cause a new leadership race to happen inside the NDP. You're right about that. And in, and in this case, it would have except put yourself in the position in Alberta. I know it's difficult because we weren't, I lived there briefly, but unless you lived there over a period of time, you understand it's kind of like Notley was the quarterback who won them the, uh, won them the Super Bowl. She got them there. It was a miracle. They've never been there. They were the worst before they've been nothing. So you're inclined to, to believe that she can lead you to the promised land again, because nobody else has done it. Yeah. You know, I'm not not saying she's a bad person. That's not my, what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if you fight like you've already lost, well, then you've lost and then you've just wasted everybody's time. Yeah, no, I agree with that last part because first of all, it's a very party centric way of thinking. She got us to the promised land once. Well, who's us? It's NDP party stalwarts. Right, nobody in Alberta is sitting there going, you know, that Rachel Notley was our hero when she could be our hero again. Like, I mean, it was largely an exercise, I believe, the electorate of voting. Like the people that didn't vote for Danielle Smith were trying to vote her out. They weren't like, you know, she. Uh, it wasn't like uh, Rachel Notley was galvanizing the citizens of Alberta. I, I think we were on a podcast um, yesterday night with uh, with the Eager Beaver Boys and. I think it was Nate uh, from the breakdown that said that she didn't even start running until like beginning of April. You know, like there was no real campaign. There was no ground game. And how do you get out the vote in an effective manner if you don't have (coughs) a ground game? You imagine if she started campaigning when she should have started, which is probably beginning of March or even end of February, at least in like a loose kind of way, that she could have... I mean, the, she could have, uh, you know, pumped up voter turnout to over 70% and won handily. If she or or to... she could have been Danielle Smith and, I don't know, set off World War III. Who knows? Well, listen, Danielle Smith, I, I, I know a lot of people like to get on Danielle Smith, and I don't think she's an effective leader. I, I think that Alberta needs to brace itself for some... Um, it reminds me of when Stephen Harper, I think it was 2011 when he won uh, his majority government for the first time. And it was like, all right, now the ideological gloves are going to come off and we're going to see incrementalism change to ideology. And we saw a lot of that. I feel like Danielle Smith is about to do that as well. Doug Ford did that. You know, it's, conservatives get a majority government. They're, they are at least, listen, you, you might not want their policies, but they're at least smart enough to realize I have a mandate. And despite, you know, being elected by uh, a plurality, I still have a majority, so I'm going to stuff in as much shit as I can into that sandwich, uh, you know, until until the next election, because I'm going to flex my majority government. Danielle Smith is definitely going to do that. And I, I have a, a you know, I, I don't know how much of a shelf life that's going to have in Alberta, um, but how much of a role do you think the the cultural um, byproduct of the pandemic had? on this election because I was totally wrong with my predictions. My predictions were things like, I I was saying things like if it's, if the voter turnout is less than 55%, UCP has it. If it's over 60%, I said incorrectly that the NDP would have it. 
And then uh, I think I even corrected my, not corrected myself, but I contradicted myself on purpose later on in that show last night by saying, I don't really know what the voter turnout is going to show us when I had thought about it a little bit more, a little bit deeper, because I feel like the, um, the right in Alberta, which go to the polls um, in less numbers normally than progressives do, probably feel like they've been politically awakened because of the pandemic, the convoy stuff and all that. I was just wondering, what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? It, it's, you see voter suppression and, and this is the problem. Fewer and fewer people are engaging in the process by design and they're becoming more and more polarized in their beliefs. I'm not anti-conservative. Conservative values are a great thing to have if you believe in them. If you, if you, if you, if that's your value system, great. If you're a Christian, great. It says in your own book to 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 love thy neighbor. We're not here to judge other people if they want to live an alternative lifestyle. If they're not hurting us, that's my job to leave them alone. And the problem is we've all, we used to be able to do that. We, we got to that point, but now we have been polarized on purpose by two sides. And these two sides are both basically vaguely asleep at the switch. Well, their owners, the people who put money in their pockets or their friends' pockets and allow them to keep their power. These are the people who are dividing us. Alberta during the pandemic, they got freaked out. And prior to that, I believe, truly, based on the merits of the Kenny government, and to be fair there, maybe if the pandemic never happened, maybe they miraculously figure out how to get a pipeline built and things work out hunky-dory, but I doubt it. I truly believe, if not for the pandemic, the NDP probably would have won the next election cycle. Yeah, Um I don't know. I don't think they can win with Notley anymore. I think like is she has she resigned yet? <laughs> no, she doesn't plan to. I mean, that's uh Yeah. I think her shelf life is done. I mean, look at like she could be the greatest person ever. She could be um a great premier. The second time around could be you know, miracles for her. I don't think she can win anymore. I think her expiry date has come and gone. Well, if and you want to lead people, you got to have some place to go and you know, you've gone to the mountain twice and and you can't you can't bring it home here are some of the headlines by the way um climate battle looms as smith wins alberta election and targets trudeau and then this one is what daniel smith election means for the rest of canada the talk is about deregulation and the talk is about uh you know not uh, subsidizing oil companies and paying them to clean up their own messes and things like that, or just allowing them not to have to clean up their own messes. This might speak to your point earlier about young people leaving the province, but what do you think is going to happen, um, you know, in the next five, 10 years, especially if she wins a reelection in the next, in like four years from now, do you think that, because I'm always really uh, wary about the doom and gloomers, you know, like, Stephen Harper eats babies, you know, like you won't recognize Canada when Harper's done with it. Trudeau's a traitor. Like it's always just the most dramatic bullshit. Right. And I don't, I don't, I never buy it. Doug Ford, Greenbelt stuff. It's, it's awful. But one day he's not going to be in office again. And we're all still going to be here trying to figure this shit out, trying to like understand politics, trying not to want to murder every single <laughs> politician that leads us. 
it's the same story. It's just a different chapter. But, uh, you know, like, how do you think this is all going to unfold for Albertans and for the rest of Canada? Well, I, I think it's going to unfold extremely poorly for Alberta. Unfortunately, the petrochemical industry, regardless of everybody's belief that um, more uh, petrochemicals are going to be required than ever to service the electrical grid. Listen, human evolution, the fact that we have stood on the shoulders of giants, tell you inevitably, very soon into the future, that oil and gas will go by the wayside. Will it be electric replaces? Who the hell knows? Mm. But it'll be something just like the steam engine was replaced by just the regular train. And now we've got uh, supersonic missiles and stuff that was science fiction. It's coming. We as a human species can't afford to continue to destroy our land all in the name of our community and our values. Community and values are great. But if you don't have a fucking place to build your house because you basically killed the land you live on, you're screwed. So I see it. I see it being very because their their futures are tied to one thing. Oil and gas. And that's wonderful as long as you're diversified. But the best young talent for things like tech jobs, which Calgary, I got to tell you, with that uh, mod squad uh, that they did, they've set up some really impressive tech facilities and those young people, they don't want to do it. They don't want to go to Alberta because the place has turned into a loony bin. Is there a betting pool for how long it takes before the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church gets their first fat, uncontested government contract? You know, I shudder to think I uh, I saw that uh, story today and it's um, absolutely... You know, I, I used to say... How can how can people get away with this? But then again, with the job that I did, I guess in a lot of ways, that was my job. But this this when it comes to kids, these these fucking religious, not religious. I'm sorry. The people, the the good people, the people who follow these these fucking wolves who call themselves, uh, uh, you know, elders or priests or whatever, who are bent Again, I'm not going to paint everybody with the same brush. but the And, monsters, you're, and you're referring to the Cheryl Hope story that came that's out. That's right, right. That's right. But those monsters, those type of people, you know, those are our criminals. And the, the story that David is referring to is the Saskatchewan RCMP not investigating historical rape case involving church elder. Woman says that woman obviously is friend of the show and my friend Cheryl Hope. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it, it, Cheryl's about to come on. Um, David, uh, you know... Uh, Thank you for your insights. We're we're also uh, very much excited that your show, The Fix, is is we launched our first episode. But David is going to have his own, uh, you know, Spotify and Apple channels and everything like that. So it won't be under the blackballed banner anymore. I was happy to take on your traffic for my personal benefit <laughs> for the, for the first episode. But uh, but no, we we love having you here on the network. I'm going to bring Cheryl in, but David, thank you very much for joining us today. I really Absolutely. appreciate it, buddy. Yeah, Cheryl. Have a good one. And Cheryl Hope joins us. Cheryl, um, how are you today? I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Cheryl Hope, um, listen, uh, you, you, let, let, I'm going to do a little chronological thing here. Uh, you came on the show, was it June 29th? Yeah, something like that, 28th or 29th of last yeah. year. So we're, we're approaching the year anniversary of when you first came on the show. The point of the, um, like, w before you came on the podcast, you filled out your police report, 
uh, about the assault that happened to you ongoing when you were young and then the, the subsequent cover-up and, the, you know, the, the, the collusion uh, among elders in the Maple Creek locality of the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church. And then today we saw, I saw this story come out and I was actually surprised. Uh, I didn't realize that you had been interviewed for it. Saskatchewan RCMP not investigating historical rape case involving church, church elder. And one of the things that sort of lit a fire under you was a different case where mm-hmm. the, um, the person uh, who, who made the claim that they were uh, sexually abused. Again, it was like 20 years ago, I believe. Yeah, it and was that, in early 2000, yeah. And that person uh, who was being accused was arrested one day later. Mm-hmm. I wanted to uh, like preamble all this by saying I have no idea what the evidence was in that other case, how compelling it was. I don't know if any of that information has been released. I don't know if it was a police report and a statement or if there was like video evidence or whatever. Like I have no idea. I'm not sure if you do either. But how did it make you feel when you first saw that other case? It must have been a weird double-edged sword because you kind of want to be happy for that victim. But at the same time, you're kind of like, well, what the fuck? Yeah, um, very much so I was that way. I was trying to scramble to try and figure out what what exactly was the case. Um, I did get a hold of my lead investigator later on, and he told me that I couldn't compare the two cases, that it was like comparing apples to oranges. Um, and at that time, he had told me that my case was paused. Um, due to not enough people around to be working on it. And there was other more pressing matters. And um, it still didn't, it didn't solidify the angst in me that was like how, like I expected something like that to happen with my case in Maple Creek. Um, Obviously I knew that it's, it is a complex situation because there was more people than just my one, there wasn't just one perpetrator. There was multiple there's multiple layers to it and then it's also stems out to um other people that are involved in their own abuse stories from the maple creek area Mm. that they're trying to wrap it all up into one so i was just kept on getting the um, statement that it was it's complex and there's more to do than than it can't just be done right away but when this when i so it was i i Somebody who was arrested in Maple Creek, his name was Mr. Pachu. I mean, anybody that's watching in Maple Creek is going to know that this has gone on. And it was. It was just, he, he was, had been arrested three times in that one week. Um, I don't know all the details. But to me, if somebody like that can be arrested, then that can be that kind of urgency that's been brought on to it, then there should be somebody working on my case 24-7. What I try and explain to the police and to my lead investigator is that we know that this man is still actively, uh, what's the right, allegedly active, seeking out people. And Mm. I had someone confidentially give me a report of something that had happened. And that's what really got the urgency set fire in me again, that no, this man needs to be taken seriously that yes, my case might've happened back in, you know, late seventies, but still we had Terry Smith that was on. That was just four or five years ago. Like this, I was just so frustrated that they weren't taking it as um, a priority. And it was the same thing as Lane Admiral's been on here. Lane Admiral has got the same response. He was actually told that he wasn't a child in danger in school and that it wasn't, again, it wasn't a pressing matter. So 
you know, I obviously watched um, David Wallace's podcast that he did here a while ago, and he was talking about uh, the RCMP and how things got shut down when Richard Marsh's case had kind of come up. Mm-hmm. So it's just, there's a lot of things, a lot of obstacles that I'm up against. And Maple Creek got, there's a lot of people in Maple Creek or people who had previously lived in Maple Creek that got very um, livid. And a lot of, a lot of bullets were going to be loaded for getting this stuff going and making sure that the police were listening. And we knew that the only way that we hadn't, the only thing that we hadn't done was attack the media is really getting the media involved because we haven't been able to get the media involved. And so there was a few people who had written multiple letters to different media outlets and reporters and um, Rory McLean from CTV bit on this one and contacted me right away. Yeah. That's a really interesting thing because it's, it's, it leaves so many unanswered questions. It's when you mentioned the RCMP, Uh, You know, we just um, experienced over the last, what, five years, you know, the the start of the uh, what was called the Me Too era. Mm -hmm. And at the time, and I still think to this day, the standard in which media outlets um, chose to run stories were often just an anonymous accuser pointing a finger at a famous man. And... For people that were in the um, journalism field, uh, there was there was like one of two camps. There was the um, listen to women camp, like like sort of like not ideological, but like that that's that was their that was their mandate: listen to women, mm-hmm. publish the story. And then there was a camp that I would probably consider myself in would be um, the due process camp. And the only reason I'm in that I was in that camp is because I, I was watching all of these cases happen where it was like an anonymous accuser accusing someone of doing something. And if they were famous, it was front page news. But there didn't mm-hmm. have to be a police report. There didn't have to be any other evidence except for the anonymous accuser, which is why when you and I were discussing uh, you coming onto my show, the one um, must have that I needed before anybody that had a case like yours would come on would be. If you file a police report, you can come on the show because that to me was making mm-hmm. our case, your case, your story more compelling than the anonymous accuser pointing mm-hmm. a finger with no evidence. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting. And I guess we have to be careful on how we characterize this. But it was, it's just really interesting that, um, you know, a person like yourself can can tell her story propped up by a police report, propped up by affidavits and witnesses and all that kind of stuff. And just hear crickets from the mainstream media. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I don't, I mean, I know they've got this rule of not touching religion and churches and that kind of stuff, but I don't know. I just look at everything that gets into mainstream media. And I just think this is something that is so needing to be exposed. This, this, the Plymouth Brethren Christian church is just, it needs to be exposed. It's way past time. It's due time that we get out there and we get this out to, I mean, there's tons of people that still message me that have never heard of this group. Um, it's just the exposure has to be there. And I'm grateful. I'm very grateful that Rory took the chance. And I mean, he's going to continue doing follow-ups and he's going to dive a little bit deeper into this, which is great. Um, I just hope the RCMP can sit back and realize that 
this isn't just something that's happened in the past. I mean, we've got 52, 53 podcasts full of every type of abuse that you can possibly think of Mm -hmm. that this, this, this community needs to be stopped. It needs to be looked, it needs to go under a very, very tiny investigation scope that on all levels, right? It's not, this is not just something that happened in the past and it's not happening anymore. It's interesting how there is like, I mean, it's hard to find hard evidence to say that the Plymouth brethren have, um, you know, some, some pull, in the RCMP or in the government. Yeah. But then you look at like the millions and millions and millions of dollars that they make from government contracts. Yeah. And I, I you know, it's, it's difficult for me to separate the fact that your story is being untold and mm-hmm. they are receiving that much money from the government. Yeah. You, know? you, it doesn't take it, 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 Anybody can sit down. And if everybody was just to look at this black and white, put it on the table, you know, you know, the government is in their pocket. There is no if, ands, or buts about it. They're, they're in their pocket. Yeah. Um, so what are the next steps then, do you think, for you? Like, the, the, there's there's a good side to this story, um, which is that it's the first time that your story has been told in a mainstream outlet. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, uh, you know, the reporter seems keen. And by the way, that could change. A lawyer could give their editor a call tomorrow and be like, stop this right now, Mm -hmm. which, again, would be the story in a sense. Mm -hmm. Right. Because, uh, you know, there's there's a few people in this country that have the power to squash a story with a phone call. And I dare say one of them is Gerald Shapur, who's the general mm-hmm. counsel of the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church, the former attorney of Prime Minister Stephen Harper, the former attorney of the opposition leader Pierre Polyev, the um, the former general counsel of the Conservative Party of Canada. This is a powerful guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, the same guy, by the way, that um, lied, allegedly, to David uh, Wallace when he told him that Richard Marsh, master criminal, had, uh, <laughs> had like outstanding warrants <laughs> against him. And then when they checked with the RCMP, it turned it turned out he did not have warrants yeah. against him. And so David Wallace was like, I'm not handing you over. And then that started basically a domino effect. One of the reasons why I'm interviewing you right now is because of that situation. But I mean, you know, there there are certain times when um, when when certain people, Jamie Watt from Navigator, um, he, he made a phone call once to post media, got a, got, got a contract that I was doing canceled because I was investigating a Peter Mansbridge story. Didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything illegal. Just made a phone call. Mm-hmm. So if that happens and, 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 you know, it would be interesting for you to, to, to tell Rory, um, that, you know, keep an eye out for this kind of stuff, because mm-hmm. if there's anything in the story that he sees that's unfair or, um, or that he's unwilling to report now, it would be good for him to go on record and saying what it is, because if a command comes down from higher ups saying squash it, I would mm-hmm. love to know what reasons that they would give. Mm-hmm. Do, mm-hmm. Like, has he mentioned anything about um, like not you, you mentioned to me on the phone today that uh, he wasn't allowed to call the group a cult? Yeah, he, he couldn't. Yeah, he couldn't call the group a cult, which I mean, I understand. Right. Like, I, I, I totally get that. Um, that is a taboo word that anybody that we've talked to is people steer away from that word. Right. Mm. Um, but well, there's a, a plan in place. I would place. just like to say that the Plymouth brother. Oh Christian yes. They're Church a cult. A fucking cult. <laughs> they're 100% a cult. Um, and I can say that just from being in there, but yes, they're, they're a cult. I think, I think the plan, there's a plan in place of how we're going to go about this. Um, 
And I just hope it's successful. I hope that we can get somewhere with it. There's a lot of irons in the fire right now with a lot of people's stories. And, you know, there's a lot of people have been, you know, we had some troll on YouTube been like, I thought you had people queued up to come on. Well, you know what? Sometimes we all need to take a break. And sometimes we have a lot of fire irons in the fire to be able to take our time in getting out what we need to get out. There's, I have no, I know that this is going to work. I know that this is going to work. I feel it in my gut. It's just patience. It takes, um, diligence in how we go about it but every time that we get stopped or we get blocked another breadcrumb comes along and it leads us down somewhere else so i know that this is going to go i know that this is going to go in whatever way shape or form that is um the pbcc are going to have to change i just know they are yeah hopefully that change includes a dismantling because Mm -hmm. it has to Mm -hmm. we and i hope it happens in my lifetime I hope it happens in our lifetime too, because mm-hmm. you know there there's so many different parts of that organization that can be rightfully and legitimately attacked, whether it's the way that their businesses are run, mm-hmm. absolutely no sore, uh, sole source contracts with the government, um, the oppression of women, you know, the abuse of children. These are all very much documented things inside this group. But no one wants to take a look. And it, it, it's 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 going to eventually, there's going to be a tipping point eventually. And this is probably what you're talking about, mm-hmm. where the evidence is just going to be so yes. overwhelming. Like like it isn't already. But you know what I mean? Like when, when mainstream media, and, and it sucks that we have to rely on mainstream media for this shit. But like eventually they're not going to be able to, like eventually Robin Doolittle or someone like that is going to have to take a long, hard look at this and be like, okay, this is a five-part series for the globe. You know, this yeah. is this is what we have to do. And then watch as that cult crumbles. Um, mm-hmm. How confident are you? And I mean, you think that you, you 100% I know it's yeah. going to happen. I know it's going to happen. There is there's just too much stuff coming forward right now um, that eventually we will get out. But there's so much stuff coming forward that there is no way there is no way that I mean, look at the Catholic Church, for instance, right? You get enough people coming forward and they eventually have to sit down and be like, oh, we have a problem, right? Even if that problem within even the Catholic Church never got sorted out the way that um, everybody probably wanted it to be sorted out, Hmm. there was still there was still exposure, right? There's enough exposure where people keep their eyes open. For me, that's the kind of exposure I want is where people just start keeping their eyes open. And when enough people start opening up their eyes and enough people start paying attention, the right person all of a sudden comes along and just puts down that first domino and everything else goes. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, we're going to follow the story, obviously. Um, we'll talk as we normally do on a regular basis. And uh, if there's anything I can do to, to sort of help spur this along, I will do my best. But Cheryl Hope, thank you again for joining us today on Black Bolt. Sounds good. Thanks. Have, have a good one. Oh, I'm rooting for Cheryl. I, I think uh, she's she's been through enough. But she's such a fighter, too, so I'm not, I'm not too worried about her. Um, I'm going to end this show a little bit differently. I... It's been a very, very rough year. And uh, it's just a personal note that I don't normally do during my podcast. But um, I, 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 without going into the details of, of everything that's happened over the last year or so, there is a, uh, 
there is an interesting thing that I've realized about broken people, and I'm talking about myself. And that is, it is hugely important when you find yourself waking up and you get out of bed and, you know, you walk to the kitchen and metaphorically, you're leaving pieces of yourself as you walk along. I was broken. I had been broken for quite a long time. And uh, there was a person that helped me put these uh, pieces of myself back together. And um, the weird thing is, is that you you don't mean to, but you, you come to rely on on people that help you put the pieces back together. And um, it can be quite a weight that you that you put on them. And there is a there's a weird blind spot that broken people have where they don't take time to realize that all of the weight that you're putting on this person that's helping you put yourself back together again, it can be overwhelming. Um, and often you can end up pushing that person away when you when you don't really uh, when you don't really want that person to go. Um, and if that person is listening. I think this person knows who she is. Uh, I owe you a thank you. You know, I don't know where I would be without you being able to hodgepodge those pieces back to me. Um, and even though I think uh, I broke myself <laughs> again along the way, um, there is something to be said for um, even the memories of being put back together that is therapeutic and very helpful. And I want to tell that person that I love her. Uh, I think, you know, she came at a time when it was really dark and uh, she was a, a bright spot. And uh, I am uh, thankful uh, and grateful that the memory of, of her helping me put myself back together is has, has allowed me to, to sort of pick a piece back up if one happens to drop today uh, I've been out of the hospital for six weeks and uh, recently I had a conversation with this person and I remind I was reminded of, of how important she was and so I'd just like to uh, give a shout out to her and we'll see you next time. Oh, wait. No, I gotta do this. <laughs> After all that big speech, I have to go back into my thing. And then grab this stupid fucking video. Because I'm not very organized. See, this person could have made me be more organized if, if she was sitting beside me. But she's not. We'll see you next time on Blackboard. listeners i'm christy and i'm melissa and this is buried motives where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers 
She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer. Such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster. And not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100%. Because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundal from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.